You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1217 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. As always, it's been a busy week already in Hawksland with a couple episodes on this feed Sunday night, talking about the season finale in Houston and the play in scenario that was going to be awaiting the Hawks in the future. And yesterday on the podcast, I talked to the co-host of the Locked on Hornets podcast for a crossover preview of a playing game that's going to be coming on Wednesday. And speaking of, today's podcast will focus exclusively on that contest. So the Hawks play the Hornets. If you missed this, you've been under a rock for a while. Atlanta hosts Charlotte at 7 p.m. Eastern national TV game on Wednesday. And our friends at Bet Online, who's watching this podcast, make the Hawks a four and a half point favorite at home in that game. There's lots to get to. There's some matchup stuff to touch on. I recommend those other two podcasts as well with some tidbits from myself. I also recommend Peachtree Hoops, where I used to be the editor, no longer anymore, but I still read about all that stuff. There's all, all kinds of great written content over there and Locked On Sports Atlanta, all kinds of podcast content. Locked On Hornets has been great as well. Everything's going to one basketball game right now because it's win or go home for the Atlanta Hawks. And the big news as of Tuesday, which is why I held this podcast until after 5 p.m. on Tuesday evening, was the injury report. The Hawks were under no obligation to release any definitive injury information until Tuesday night, as they don't necessarily do that usually. And John Collins, of course, was the topic of conversation coming into the evening. And official word as of 5 p.m. when the Hawks released the injury report was that John Collins is officially listed as out for the game on Wednesday. For a while, I have speculated and guessed in an educated, educated fashion, I'll say, I was not definitive at all, but certainly estimated that the Hawks would be without, would be without Collins in the play-in. That's going to be happening. He missed the final 16 games regular season. He's not played in a, in a game since March 11th. And in fact, he missed time before that. So he's, he's, only, he's only appeared in four games since February 11th. That's four games in more than two months as I record this. There was some optimism, actually, in the updates that was delivered from Nate McMillan on Tuesday. He said he played some four-on-four during the road trip, which was uh, new information as of Tuesday. and kind of gave sort of a non-answer at practice earlier in the day on Tuesday. Kept it open, but basically said that we'll see. And a couple hours later, the official report came out, and he was ruled out for the game. They could potentially change it. It doesn't usually happen that way. Usually, if a guy has any chance of playing, the list of him is doubtful or questionable. So I have to assume he's not going to play on Wednesday. And then actually Chris Kirchner at The Athletic reported that he was told uh, in the aftermath of that on Tuesday that it's unlikely that Collins plays on Friday either if the Hawks were to win. Nothing official there, but you know, only 72 hours later or so, not a huge surprise to me. I've been guessing for a while that Collins would not play this season, although it does seem like he's getting closer. So if the Hawks were to make it out of the play-in, maybe he comes back in the first round series against Miami. Um, also, Kirshner reported that Collins cannot grip a basketball still. And he's having some pain in that finger, though the foot is improving. That's kind of the challenge here with John is that it's two injuries in one. He has a plantar fascia tear in his foot, which is obviously a big time deal for someone who runs and jumps and uh, plays with the force that Collins does. And then you have the issue with his finger on his shooting hand, which affects ball handling and shooting and just pain tolerance, all that fun stuff, too. So it's all kinds of stuff going into this for John Collins, but it's not just one injury, and that's, that's what makes the uh, reporting on it so difficult. But alas, the definitive word is now out there, and John Collins will not be playing on Wednesday. And of course, the Hawks are weakened as a result of that absence. Elsewhere on the injury report, 
Lou Williams is also not going to play. That was a mild surprise. He's listed as out for a couple games recently. In fact, I think six of the last 10 games with back discomfort. But with a guy like Lou, who's a older veteran, it could have been just management or whatever, not a whole lot of specifics on that, but he's not going to play. And that actually tells you a little bit more about how much discomfort it probably is for Lou Williams. He's been out a lot lately, but being unable to play in a postseason game is certainly something else. So uh, I've said, and I'm not trying to pick on Lou, who I love and have watched and covered for a very, very long time, uh, actually went to high school down the street from me. Um, but I think if I was the Hawks, I would not be playing Lou in this game, even if he, if, if he was healthy. So that, that decision is made for them at this point in time. Those are the only injuries for Atlanta. Notably, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, guys who have been listed a lot recently, are not on the injury report. That's a positive, particularly with Bogdanovich, who's got to have a very big role in this game. But uh, that's all the injury stuff for now on the Hawks' side. The one thing for the Hornets is that Gordon Hayward is not going to be playing. Not a huge surprise. He's been uh, out for most of the second half of the season. But there was some buzz early, and then he kind of had, I guess, like a reoccurrence. Uh, that was going to be the assumed outcome, and now official. He's the only guy in the injury report for the Hornets. So two big-time guys out, one on each side with Collins and Hayward, and then Lou, a supporting piece, out for the Hawks. Okay, with all of that out of the way, we'll come back to some questions later on about the injury stuff and the rotation stuff. But I'm going to give you some sort of primer on this game as well as some mailbag questions and some projections from the from the numbers and all that fun stuff. So sort of a grab bag, but certainly all about that game on Wednesday because, again, the margin for error in any one-game scenario is very, very slim. Um, it helps the Hawks, of course, that they are 19-3 and in the last 22 home games. Uh, having this game at home is a huge thing, which is why the Hawks had to win on Sunday in Houston. Um, for the season, they actually split with the Hornets. They were 1-1 one one on the road and 1-1 one one at home. The Hornets, by the way, as I'll give you a sort of breakdown of them, I'm sure people have been watching it. I've actually watched a lot of tape on the Hornets in the last couple of days to prepare and prepare from this uh, for this game. And, of course, the Hawks saw them four times, so a lot of uh, film on the Hawks and the Hornets. Charlotte is kind of interestingly not necessarily the exact same team as the Hawks by any means. The Hawks are the better team, spoiler alert, in this game. But the Hornets are similar in that they are an offense-first team with defensive struggles. They are led by a, uh, a point guard who is, of course, of some uh, renowned with uh, Lenola Ball in Charlotte. But Charlotte's number eight in the league in offense and number 22 in defense, according to the raw numbers, the points for possession numbers. Cleaning the glass, which filters out garbage time and some other stuff, has the Hornets section a little bit better than that. Number six on offense, number 20 on defense. Overall stuff from the Hornets, we'll start with the defensive end of the floor, and we'll save offense for a second. But, the, but defensively, this is the area where the Hawks should be able to attack Charlotte. The Hornets are very good in one notable area on defense, and that is turnover creation. They're top five in the NBA in creating turnovers this season, both on a rate basis and a per-game basis. They're also top five in steals, which in some ways fuels their offense, which we'll come back to later on. But that's the one area where Charlotte is actually quite good on defense. You know, for the Hawks, it's defensive rebounding. But they're actually quite good at at times, um, and also just not fouling. But the Hornets, top five in turnover creation, top five in still rate. The Hornets are above average, not hugely above average, but certainly above average in keeping teams off free throw line, so not fouling around the rim. That's notable because, of course, Trey Young gets to the line and uh, certainly takes advantage of that, as well as Capella, et cetera, around the rim. But the Hornets are near the bottom of the NBA in opponent shooting which is not a huge surprise. This is a team that does not have a ton of defensive talent. They also play fairly small at times, which we'll come back to with uh, some small ball lineups. And even their centers, um, Mason Plumley and Montrez Harrell, are not great defenders by any means. The Hawks do have a serious advantage defensively near the rim with Capella in particular, and even Okongwu would be far and away the best defender and best rim protector on this Hornets roster. That's, that's an advantage the Hawks have in this game. I will say the Hornets do a good job in giving up the shots that they actually want to give up. They, they play the sort of uh, money ball defense, allowing a bunch of of mid-rangers if they want to and protecting the rim and not giving up a lot of three-point attempts but they don't have they don't actually contest those shots very well and they don't have a ton of defensive talent or defensive size 
Now, the last thing before we get to a break is the Hornets' defense uh, on the on the glass, I should say, is quite bad. They're second worst in the NBA in defensive rebound rate. Now, that's sort of a two-pronged thing here for the Hawks, which we'll probably come back to later on as well. But Atlanta is pretty good on, on the offensive glass, although less so without John Collins. Uh, right now, Capella is really the only guy that really crashes the glass effectively. He is very good at it. He's one of the best in the league at um, second-chance opportunities. But the Hornets do have that weakness, and the Hawks now have to decide whether to try, to try to exploit that weakness because, as we'll touch on, the Hornets are very, very good in transition on offense. And if you go to the offensive glass as the Hawks and do not capitalize on grabbing the rebound and scoring, you are putting yourself in, in, in a bind for getting back on defense, and that can open things up for Charlotte. But overall, offense for the Hawks versus Hornets defense is a very significant advantage to Atlanta. Of course, the Hawks are number two in the league in offense for the season. That's not a fluke. They are really that good on offense. Trey Young is a monster. And even without him, they've been a little bit better than usual without him on the floor this year. Without him just playing well, et cetera. They're not quite the same team without John Collins. That's a little bit of a downgrade. But for me, I've been this for a while. Because they have Dallo, the Collins' absence has felt more on defense than offense. Uh, still both ends of the floor for sure. But certainly the Hawks with their shooting, three-point shooting, top five in the league, the free throw drawing, their free throw accuracy, uh, basically everyone except for Capella is good at the line for the Hawks. All that stuff in a vacuum. The Hawks should have a very easy time, I would, I would, let's just say on paper, scoring against the Hornets defense. We'll come back to that later on in the podcast. All right, before we touch on the Hornets offense versus the Hawks defense and mailbag questions and projections and much more, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Shady Rays, an independent sunglasses company that gives you the feature of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is the insane protection program that Shady Rays has. Shady Rays includes lost and broken protection on every single pair. They'll send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happened. Give them a try. If you don't love it, you'll pay absolutely nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to Fight Hungry in America when you shop with Shady Rays. And for our listeners exclusively, ShadyRays.com is the place to go and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% off two more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the entire season. 50% off on two more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses. And the company is backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. One more time, that is ShadyRays.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. 50% off on two more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Check it out at ShadyRays.com. All right, and now the other end of the floor, which is a little bit... Let's just say, maybe not a little bit, a lot, a lot bit worse for the Hawks. And that is the Hornets are pretty good on offense. As we talked about earlier, they're top eight in the league in both NBA.com offensive rating and cleaning the glass offensive rating. The Hornets are number one in the league in assists. They pass the ball very well. They're top three in assist percentage and assist turnover ratio. So they take care of the ball. They pass it at a high level. Mellow ball It's not the only guy on the team. They have, they have a good passing team overall. Even Plumlee, who's not a great offensive player, is a good passer for a center. Um, good ball movers across the offense. They're also top 10 turnover rate on offense. The Hawks are pretty bad at causing turnovers. So if you're trying to find an area where the Hawks are probably not going to have a lot of success here, it's turning the ball over against the Hornets, causing that, getting steals, getting live ball stuff, and that kind of stuff as well. The Hornets are also good from three, as the Hawks are. Charlotte is in the top six in the league in three-point attempts and three-point percentage. That is uh, not great necessarily for the defense. You know, there's, you know, there is some variance there in a one-game scenario, both for the Hawks, to be fair, and for the Hornets. If one of these teams has a bad shooting night, the uh, gap to make up for that is pretty significant because they, they, they're going to take a lot of threes. Both teams are going to take a lot of threes. That's why this total in the over-under space is like in the 230s. These teams are going to be able to score. They play fast. They play uh, pretty pretty loose and take a lot of threes. The Hornets are about league average 
on the glass on offense. Nothing huge there, but certainly when they play bigger with Montrez Harrell, they are pretty potent at times on the glass. The Hawks are good on the, on the defensive glass when Capella plays. When he does not play, they are bad. So if uh, something to circle there would be whether the Hawks can rebound with Capella off the floor, particularly without Collins now, and with DeAndre Hunter probably playing some backup four minutes, that's not always great for the hunter uh, Kongwu lineups defensively. Um, the Hornets do have one weakness on offense. That's getting to the line. They're 24th in the league in, t- in free throw rate and 27th in the league free throw percentage. So that's an area where the Hawks have the edge, both in creating and making their free throws. Not a small thing in a one-game scenario. The Hornets do have a, sh- a really good shot profile. They are top three in the league at getting shots at the rim, take a lot of threes, and not many mid-range shots. So that's uh, what you want to see if you are the Hornets, not what you want to see if you're the Hawks, and hopefully they can get them to take some more, some more mid-rangers. Also, the Hornets are number two in the league in corner three-point attempt rate. So they get that. that's probably the best shot in the league other than a layup or dunk is a corner three, and the Hornets take a lot of those. So that would be a, a sort of important for the Hawks to wall off that area of the floor. And the big one at the end here is the Hornets are about league average. They're 13th. That's a little bit better than average in half-court offense, but they are exceptional in transition. They're number three in transition offensive efficiency, so they're great when they get in transition to convert those opportunities, and they're also number three in the league and transition frequency. So they create a lot of transition opportunities with, with their steals, pushing off of misses, and all that stuff, and they're really, really good in transition. The big thing is that the Hawks have been pretty bad, actually, this season in transition, transition defense. Now, part of that is that they have um, not a lot of size on the floor without Collins, but they have some guys who are pretty bad at changing ends. You know, your Gallinari's, even Capella, if there's probably one thing on, de- on defense that he's not great at, is changing ends at this point, and his career has been better than that, at that lately. But even Bogey, Herter, not physical defenders in transition necessarily. And the Hawks are going to have to game plan for that. That is extremely important in this matchup. The Hawks are going to have to get back all the time. You're making basically one choice in this game, and it's do you want to crash the glass at all with anybody but Capella? I think Capella, it's worth it because he's so good at it, and he finishes around the rim. But everybody else has got to sprint back on, on shots. That's kind of what I'd be doing in this spot, and we'll see if they can get back. Overall, for the Hornets offense, they have three guys averaging at least 19 points. That's LaMelo Ball, Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier. Bridges is a tough matchup for the Hawks. Um, I think Hunter will probably see him quite a bit in this game, and you might have to deal with Kevin Herter on the mellow ball. Uh, Rozier will probably have to be, you know, Trey or maybe even Bogey at times, et cetera. But because of Collins being out, there's no one that can really match the physicality of Miles Bridges. I think Hunter is the best size matchup for him. But, of course, um, Gallo's got to guard somebody. That's the tough thing about that. Uh, Capella is Capella, but uh, not a ton of depth for the Hornets. That's one positive is that without Gordon Hayward, they're not a hugely depth, hugely deep team on offense. But P.J. Washington is an X-factor, and that they play him a lot of the five. He's more of a four-size player, but um, one of the X-factors in this game is where the Hawks can keep Capella on the floor when the Hornets are playing five outs. Akongwu could be very useful in this game as a guy who plays on the perimeter more than Capella does on defense, but we'll come back to that later on. It's just definitely something to keep an eye on. And then they have Kelly Oubre, who's a hot and cold player, to say the least. They have Cody Martin, who's more of a serviceable kind of backup wing type, and then Plumlee and Harrell up front. That's all of that on the Hornets. Before we get to the mailbag stuff, a couple of just uh, nuts and bolts kind of things here. Uh, just interesting stuff from Bell Line, our sponsors on the show. They have a bet that they sent out today via email that I saw on Tuesday that you can actually bet on any nine or 10 seed in either conference. So that's four teams, Hawks, Hornets, Spurs, Pelicans. And only one of them has to make the playoffs, but basically whether any of them make the playoffs, and that means the top eight seeds. And at this point in time, it's plus 150 on the yes. If you're not a huge betting person, I'll just say this. The yes is an underdog in that scenario. And that basically you have four chances, and they're still thinking that it's less likely than not that a team out of the 9-10 will actually make the playoffs. So if you believe in that, 
that means that the Hawks are in an uphill battle. Now, I do think that the Hawks had the best chance pretty clearly of any team in the 9-10 to make it out of the make it out of the out of the 9-10 and into the playoffs. Number one, I believe the Hawks are the best team of these four teams when it comes to the Hawks, the Hornets, the Pelicans, and the Spurs. And also they have the experience, they have the best player of these four teams with Trey Young, but it's still a real lift to actually have to win two games in a row. Um, as we'll get into at the end of the podcast, the Hawks should be favored in this game. They should be favored in this game. But even then, let's just say the Hawks, just for whatever you want to say, are a 70% favorite to win against the Hornets. Now, let's give them a pretty favorable chance against either the Hornets, sorry, either the Cavs or the Nets on Friday. Uh, the Hawks might be like a coin flip against the Cavs. They're going to be underdogs against the Nets if they're in Brooklyn. But regardless, let's just say 50%. Just to be, And that's pretty rosy, to be honest with you. If you combine those two percentages, the Hawks are less likely than not to make the playoffs. So it's an uphill battle. I'm not saying that's not going to happen because I think the Hawks are a team that is def- definitely dangerous. But that's sort of an interesting note that I wanted to pass along to you from Bet Online. That look, even if you love the Hawks this year, the numbers are not in their favor in terms of getting out of here winning two games. Now we'll come back to that later on if they win this game. We'll have preview content and all that stuff in advance of Friday. But that's sort of a note here at the end. And lastly, before we get to the mailbag. Um, this has been a topic of conversation actually came up on yesterday's podcast on a hit that I did in Charlotte today. Trey has not played all that well against Charlotte in his career. He did average 10.8 assists um, against the Hornets in the regular season and about 21 points, which is not too bad. But that's well below his average. 38% from the floor against the Hornets this year in four games. Um, Efficiency-wise overall, it was okay. Got to the line a lot, but pretty, still pretty good numbers. I'm not saying otherwise. 21 and 11 is really good for a lot of players. But – Worse than usual, for sure. And also, for his entire career now, that's three. That's uh, that's four seasons. Charlotte actually has the second-best numbers against Trey Young than any other team in the entire league. Only Utah, who's played about half the games as Charlotte against the Hawks, has held him more in check. Now, does that tell you anything? I don't necessarily think so. I think the Hawks have seen a lot of stuff this year thrown at them that have prepared them for this matchup from the blitzes and the doubles and all the all the different coverages against Trey. I think he's kind of settled in a little bit. But the Hawks have been creative, and they are pretty athletic. So we'll see, and they seem to bother him a little bit a couple, a couple times in his career. I am not worried about that, but it was at least asked of me, so I want to at least pass that along as a potential uh, roadblock for the Hawks in this matchup. Okay. Before we get to the mailbag to end the podcast, and there's still a lot, a, a lot to get to on this show. It might be a little bit longer than usual, actually, for a solo podcast. But I'm sure it's okay with most of you. I'm going to post the show a little, bit, a little bit early as well on Tuesday. Before we get to all of that, though, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. I have a pretty crazy schedule at this point, and I started taking Athletic Greens because I actually wanted to be healthier, have more energy, and want to see what all the fuss is about with Athletic Greens. And now I've been on it for a while with AG1, and I absolutely love it. AG1 does not taste like a simple thing that's super healthy. In fact, I really look forward to taking AG1 each and every morning. It's the first thing I have when I wake up, and with just one delicious scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day on the right note. Special blend of ingredients supports your nervous system, your immune system, your gut health, your energy, and gives you the ability to focus and to recover. AG1 costs you less $3 a day, and you're investing in your health. Candidly, it's cheaper than that cold brew habit that you have, and I know I have. AG1 also helps you support your better sleep quality and recovery, as well as mental clarity and alertness. Athletic Grades are 7,000 five-star reviews at this point. It's recommended by professional athletes across the country. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with the convenient daily nutrition, especially as we head into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop of, and a cup of water each and every day, and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements that you, that you want to have to look out for your health. To make it easy on you as well, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
I'm willing to make an effort this year to actually eat right and having a lot of success with it. And the biggest part of that success is Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually a lot easier because I enjoy eating Built Bars from the protein-infused puff bars. They're fantastic. All the other fan favorites from Built Bar and my longtime favorites as well. Each and every bar has 100% real chocolate. That makes a huge difference both in taste and texture. And the taste really is fantastic. And on top of the taste, Built Bar is low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars with Built Bars both in taste and to improve your overall nutrition. Built.com has all the answers for you. That's Built.com has all the answers for you. And check out the nutrition page. You'll be blown away by it with all Built Bars, at least most Built Bars, containing 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low and modest calorie count. Milk Bar has also long-time flavors like coconut almond. And new flavors coming all the time, plus each and every flavor is absolutely delicious. I've never had a bad Built Bar. That is definitely the case. And really, they're all very, very good, depending on what you prefer in your taste. And the best way to check out Built Bar is to go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 when you get there. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that is Built.com for all the answers to all of your nutritional questions, your Built Bar questions, and everything else that you possibly want with Built Bar. Use, when you get there, use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. Okay, some mailbag questions here on this game in particular. And the first one comes from Mark, who asks, do you think home court is that big of a deal for the Hawks? It seems like it might be the most important thing to you before the play-in, looking at the matchups. And it seems like opponent would matter actually more than home court advantage. So, interesting question from Mark. Thank you for the questions for everybody, as always. Um, I'll say this. If you told me the season started again right now with 82 games, I do not think the Hawks would be 27-14 at home and 16-25 on the road. That's what they are. 27 wins at home, 16-25 on the road. And that happened, though, It's the thing. I think the Hawks are – that's probably an appropriate home record for the Hawks. I think the Hawks should be better than that on the road. But this season, they've been pretty bad on the road. That's important to keep in mind. The Hawks have been pretty dominant at home recently. Again, 19-3 and three in the last 22 games. They had a pretty bad home stretch early in the year, and then from there, they basically were awesome from that point forward. There was some friendly schedule stuff in there, to be sure, but there's no question at all that they should be preferring a home game, both for crowd on their favor, just comfort level, and just the recent results. I think that's important to note that the Hawks have the worst road record of any team in the postseason. That's 20 teams, 10 teams in each conference. They have the worst road record of any of those teams. And they're also three games worse at home, sorry, on the road than any team in the East is in the playoffs. That includes Charlotte, that includes Chicago, Cleveland, all those teams. The Hawks have been the worst of those teams by a lot. Also worth noting, as I said a little bit on yesterday's show, the Hawks are 1-11 and in their last 12 road games against teams that are in the postseason in either conference. Again, 1-11 since January 1st. That's about you know three months worth of time. The Hawks have one road win in three months against a pretty good team. And that, and that win, by the way, came against Charlotte. With all due respect to the Hornets, who obviously can win the game on Wednesday, the Hornets are also one of the worst postseason teams. So the one win the Hawks did get was against a team that was not exactly the Bucks or the Suns. It was the Hornets. So to answer the question, I think home court does really matter. I would rather play at home in that one-game scenario. Like I said last week, I think getting to 7-8 was more important. And, of course, that didn't happen because the Hawks got no help from anybody else. And they also lost that game in Miami. But once they were in the 9-10, I think being at home was very, very important to them. Not having to win two in a row on the road, um, all that fun stuff. So we'll have to come back to that later on. If they get this win, they have to go on the road. That's just the punishment for this season. But uh, in terms of the one-game scenario, I think home court advantage was pretty big. And we'll see if that actually ends up mattering on Wednesday. Next question comes from Richard, who asked what the rotation will look like on Wednesday and what would it look like if I was choosing. Um, first and foremost, this question depended on whether Collins could play. I had two different answers for this written down, but now that we know the answer from the injury report about Collins not playing, it's fairly easy, to be honest. It would be a lot more challenging if John played. Not in a bad way, because obviously the Hawks could use him, um, but now that he's out, there are eight guys that are absolute locks to play. It's Trey Young, it's DeLon Wright, Kevin Herter, Vladimir Madonovich, 
DeAndre Hunter, Vidal Gallinari, Clint Capella, and Anyaka Kongwu. Those eight guys have been playing every night. They're going to play in this game, barring some sort of crazy change. Those are the eight guys for sure. Now, with Lou Williams also being out, that trims it down a little bit in terms of options. I think there really is only one guy, barring real foul trouble or an injury, that I, w- that I would potentially see playing in a rotation, and that is TLC. I think, it, and that's just going off of the recent rotation pattern. I know people want to see Jalen Johnson or whoever else, but I think realistically, if you watch what Nate's been doing the last couple of weeks, it's basically been those eight guys and TLC. And then occasionally, like there was one game, they only played eight guys. And then most of the time, it's TLC in the first half, and then maybe in the second half, but mostly just in the first half. So if I had to guess what will happen at this point, it is the eight guys, and I would guess probably TLC in the first half and not again in the second half. That's my guess. And TLC, he's sort of been the plug-and-play guy, backup three, backup four, et cetera. If I was choosing, I would go into this game planning on playing only eight guys. It's a one-and-done scenario. You have you have a day off after this. Um and yes, you have to go on the road, but it's not that big of a deal. It's not, not a back-to-back. You've had three days off before this. I think if I'm the Hawks, I'm planning on playing eight guys. They're my best eight guys that I have available. That's who I'd play. It won't bother me if they play TLC for a few minutes in the first half. I know Hawks fans will not always love that, as we discussed a lot on this podcast. But I think it would be reasonable to play him for a few minutes and see what they have. But for the most part, and by the way, Charlotte's a team where TLC might be pretty useful defensively in particular, and that the Hawks will have a lot of those like three, four combo guys. It's basically just Hunter. So if Hunter has foul trouble, you might want to have TLC guard Miles Bridges just because you don't have anybody else really to do that. Maybe you throw bogey on him for strength purposes, but obviously speed-wise, that's giving up a lot to Bridges, et cetera. So I think TLC is a reasonable guy to play. Um, I think maybe uh, they might have played Lou if he was healthy. I would not have done that. But alas, if I had to guess, it'd be the nine-man rotation. If I, if I was in charge, it'd be eight, and then we'll see what happens from there. Next question comes from Beck, who asks, with how well Bogey is playing, would you consider starting him in the playoffs? Um, interesting question for sure. I think Bogey has been really good re- recently. Um, since he came back in January, he's been averaging about 17 and a half points a game on good shooting in about 35 games. And in the last 12 games, he's averaging 20 points a game and 44% from three. That's obviously really good. And uh, I think without question, Bogey is one of their five best players available right now. That's not up for debate, but I wouldn't start him. I think him on the bench makes a lot of sense, especially with the state of the wing situation and the four situation right now. Um, I also, though, would be planning to play him as much as possible off the bench, which is basically like, if I had to guess, he'll play 34, 35 minutes, maybe more than that off the bench, which is a lot. But I think giving him that boost and having him stagger with Trey, there is not a minute in this game, if I am the Hawks, where Bogey or Trey is not on the floor. That happened in the playoffs last year. It made a lot of sense to me. The best way to do that is to have those guys not play together at the beginning of the game. It's possible to do that as well. It wouldn't bother me if they, if they started him, but for now, I would leave it as it is. I play Bogey a ton off the bench and not start him. But I think it's not reason, it's not an unreasonable question for sure. He's been playing really well. I still think that he makes a lot of sense in that role. And by the way, this is more of an offseason topic. I think Bogey has a real case for like second or third place, the sixth man of the year. He qualifies after not playing uh, in the starting lineup for a while. So I'll be sure to see if he gets votes because I think if you look at the numbers, we'll dive into this later on uh, in the offseason or maybe later in the playoffs as the Hawks make a run. But Bogey is a six-man-of-the-year candidate for me. That's how good he's been off the bench. So last full question here comes from E on Twitter. Thank you for the question. Um, who asks, I'm not sure if it's a he or she, so my apologies. Um, what scares you about Charlotte and what doesn't scare you at all about Charlotte? <laughs> That's an interesting question. So my answer about what scares me is the offense for Charlotte is pretty dynamic. They are capable of scoring 130 on the Hawks or on really anybody if they're making shots. They play fast. They shoot a lot of threes. Um, they are capable, if they have a nuclear game, of really kind of blowing you out of the water. And that's a little bit scary in a one-game scenario. I think Capella is awesome. 
He's been really good lately, and, he, and he'll be a big plus when Plumlee or Harrell is playing, but he's not a great matchup against the five-out lineup with Washington at the five, and the Hornets are very fast in those groups, so uh, that's a problem. Also, transition defense, which I talked about earlier. The Hawks have been very, very bad in getting back this year, and part of that is their own issues. Part of that is that they don't have um, the most speed, um, effort stuff, and organization stuff, something great this year. But Charlotte will kill you if you don't get back. So that's going to be a – if I had just highlight one area in particular that scares me, that's it. The Hawks getting blown away in transition in this game. So keep an eye on that. I'm sure Nate's been banging that home the last couple of days, but I'm sure it's not like it's a secret, but they're going to have to do pretty well in that area. And I think that's probably the only thing overall. And I think it's um, – on the other on the floor, if there's anything that scares me on the offense for the Hawks, it's that if they don't – if they if Trey does not play well, they're in trouble. And not, I'm not scared of that because Trey is really, really good – He's the best player in this game. He's an all-NBA level player. Uh, I think that I don't have the fear of that. But it's worth noting that when the Hawks don't look good on offense, it's usually because Trey's not playing well, and they really cannot afford to have Trey have a bad game. Uh, maybe they can still win, but I think if, if you told me just nothing else about this game other than Trey does not play well, the Hawks probably aren't favored at that point if Trey doesn't play well. So keep that in mind. But the Hawks are you know, definitely a shooting team as well. So if they miss shots – that's tough. If the Hornets make shots, there's some uh, ugly options on the table, but I think overall the projection is pretty strong for Atlanta. In terms of the other side of the floor or the other side of the scare continuum, stuff that does not scare me, the Hawks should be able to score pretty easily. Uh, again, barring a trade disaster game, which I don't envision, Charlotte's pretty bad on defense, and they don't have any room protection at all. Um, I think the Hawks should be able to attack Plumley and Harrell with pick and roll, and the space there should be pretty optimal for them. Even without Collins, they have enough, have, they have enough room runners with Capella and Kongwu. They have Trey. They have shooters etc. When the Hornets go small, they're faster, but then they can't rebound really at all. They have no size at the rim for protection purposes. So the Hawks should be able to score. I think also a good matchup for Atlanta in some ways is that Charlotte really relies on turning the ball over defensively. They're really good, as I talked about earlier, in creating havoc, steals, deflections, etc. But the Hawks are quite literally the best team in the NBA in avoiding turnovers, both in turnovers per game and turnover percentage. So in theory, Atlanta taking care of the ball would be huge. If the Hawks have 70 turnovers in the game on Wednesday, they're in trouble. If they, if they turn it over eight times, that's a great number. They average about 12 per game. Anything below that would be huge, but even 12 would be just fine in this game. But do not let Charlotte beat you because you turn the ball over too many times. Also, things that do not scare me. The Hawks have the best player on the floor. I'll say it one more time. The Hawks have the best player on the floor. Trey Young is very easily the best player on these two teams. That's not disrespectful to the middle ball, who's really good, or Capella, or Bridges, or whoever you want to say. The Hawks have Trey Young, and the Hornets do not. That's very, very helpful. And, of course, the Hawks are also at home, where they've been really good for a while. Last thing, the Hawks have the experience advantage, which I think matters. It can be overrated at times, but the Hawks did make a run last year. They have played in games like this recently with the same cast of characters. The Hornets have played one postseason game. It was a play-in game that got absolutely blitzed last year in the play-in. Now, that doesn't mean the Hawks are going to win by default, but if things get close late, late in this game, the Hawks have been here before, and they have a veteran coach. The Hornets are a young team, and that's not a disparaging comment. They just haven't really been here before. So that's uh, the last thing to kind of break the tie. There you go on that. Okay, before we get out of here, a final prediction from me. Just something to change a little bit here. The projected systems like the Hawks in this game to varying degrees. Uh, for instance, 538 has the Hawks as 73% chance to win this game and as six-point favorites in the game. Sportsline, where I do some work over at CBS, has the Hawks as a 56% chance to win, so pretty pretty narrow there, and only has two-point favorites. ESPN and the BPI give the Hawks a 69% chance to win. So 
Atlanta is favored in those three. They're, I'm sure they're, they're probably favored in all of them at home. And I'll just say now, I believe the Hawks will win. Uh, is it a lock? No. Um, I would never say it's a lock really on any level, but I think I am pretty confident that the Hawks are the better team. They're playing at home, and I have to pick them in this game with some pretty decent confidence, all things considered. Now, the Hawks, again, have the best player. I think it's like a 70-30 kind of game, not like it's 90-10 toward the Hawks because of the fact that Charlotte's really good on offense. Um, and there is a chance that the Hornets just go crazy on offense in this game because the Hawks have been pretty bad on defense this year at times, and the Hornets are capable of just exploding at any moment in time. But the point spread, again, is four and a half at Bet Online, our friends over there. And that's about right in my mind. I think the Hawks are appropriately favored on that line. Something like four or five makes a lot of sense to me. But in the end, I'm picking the Hawks to win and advance to Friday. If they win, we'll talk about the game on Friday where I'm recording this now before the Nets-Cavs game on Tuesday. Keep that in mind. So I don't know who the Hawks are going to be playing if they were to win. But regardless, they'll be on the road on Friday. Um, we'll come back after this after the game on Wednesday with an episode. The, of course, the Hawks will be at home. The game will be, uh, probably be a little bit later than usual because of the fact that they're going to be at home in that game. But uh, lots of stuff to get into. I'll be in the building for that one. So we'll see how that all fares. But as a programming note, a podcast regardless after the game. And then if they were to win, we will pivot directly into play-in number two uh, mode on Friday. If they were to lose by some stretch of the imagination, then it's offseason time. And we'll talk about that as we as we do here. But hopefully, if you are a Hawks fan and uh, to keep this podcast going, all that fun stuff. As a reminder, by the way, just in case you're a new listener, we do not disappear when the season ends. So if the Hawks lose, do not just you know unsubscribe and disconnect. We're going to be here throughout the offseason if that, if that were to happen. But I think the Hawks are going to win on Wednesday, and then we'll uh, have more content moving forward. So please, please, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our newly launched YouTube channel, where I'm trying to get to 1,000 subscribers. So please uh, go ahead and cl- click the subscribe button there, and that really helps the show. Even if you're not planning to watch a ton on YouTube, it just really helps to subscribe. So YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all those fun places. Leave five-star feedback if you can. Ratings, reviews, thank you very much in advance for doing that. And if you already done that, thank you, thank you, thank you. As for Twitter, please follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. One more time, we'll be back again with a new podcast after the game on Wednesday. And there's still time to catch up on these shows from Sunday and Monday if you miss them. Take a deep breath, everybody. It's going to be an interesting uh, couple of days here in Hawksland, but uh, a big game, 7 o'clock p.m. One more time, 7 o'clock. So if you're going to be in attendance or watching on TV, do not get sucked into the usual 7.30. It's a 7 o'clock tip-off, national TV, and uh, we'll see you after the game on Wednesday.